0: We're out, dude. It's over. Indie Hackers is officially independent again. We're our own company. We own it,
1: and Mm. we're no longer owned by Stripe. Mm. Hearing it, hearing it out loud, it just like feels different. But how do you feel? Do you actually feel any different?
0: Yeah, I feel great. I mean, obviously, this is not like a decision we just made yesterday. This has been months in the making, but now it's actually real. Like it means. We no longer get our awesome paychecks anymore. We no longer have an awesome, cushy, monthly budget. I think my last paycheck hit my account last Friday, and that's it. Uh, We now have a business that does zero dollars in revenue. uh, That's burning probably $10,000 a month, not even including our salaries. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But on the flip side, we no longer have a boss. We have a company, a Delaware C-Corp to be exact. And uh, we can do whatever the hell we want with it. We are... Officially, indie hackers for the first time in six years. So I'm excited.
1: The indie hackers founders have actually become indie hackers again. Yeah, dude. I. It's funny you say like, um, you know, we no longer have the cushy paycheck coming in, and I honestly I don't know if I don't know how you feel about this, but it's just my personality, dude. I love that. I wrote a post on indie hackers like I don't know a couple of like a month ago. I think it was titled "Hunt Before You Eat," like. I love the idea of having real intrinsic motivation to do things. I don't want to be out on the street, but... I don't know if I can say that I love not getting paid. I actually quite
0: like getting paid, but I like earning it. I like knowing that it's coming from my own efforts, knowing that nobody can take it away from me, and we're now in the position that every indie hacker is in, where we have to do that. And we've been here before. When I started indie hackers in 2016, we weren't owned by anybody, and we were making ad revenue and I think we got up to like eight, $9,000 a month in revenue in the first eight months before getting acquired, and then promptly cut it down to zero. So it's been a long time since I've actually been an entrepreneur. And Sean Purdy came on here and kind of called us out. He like, just
1: shat on us. Two or three weeks ago. <laughs> just shat on us.
0: <laughs> but little did he yes. know, we were already way ahead of him, because we've been negotiating and doing paperwork and talking to lawyers and like making this Stripe divestment thing happen since November.
1: Ahead of him ahead of him in information, not ahead of him in like dollars made. <laughs> We're yeah. very, very behind.
0: Uh, are you worried about not having a paycheck? Are you like are there things in your life that are gonna have to change? You know, are you gonna stop stop shopping at Whole Foods?
1: Lifestyle wise, maybe I buy like slightly fewer books. I mean, because I buy literally two books every week almost. Is that but, your main luxury? That's your main expenditure? What's my like food food? What is it like? Not even food. I do cook unity. I do like these like subscription meal boxes where I don't have to even think about it. Dude, I don't spend, I don't spend any money, honestly. I just don't, I go out to eat on weekends. I treat my girl. That's it. you're You're a frugal spender.
0: I'm a big spender. I live extravagantly. I have a baller ass apartment, two bedrooms, even though I live by myself in the heart of Seattle. Like I'm staring at the space needle outside my window. I throw huge events for my friends. I just had like a birthday party for myself. There was like a luxury Airbnb last weekend with cost thousands of dollars. So <laughs> and by the I got a cut juxtaposition,
1: down. By the way, that juxtaposition was hilarious because I had like a quiet evening. Natalie and like my friend, like James brought his baby. Like, <laughs> like we, couldn't even, we couldn't even speak in adult voices. And you were even... like just, you know, pumping the bass, like doing karaoke. I can't even say half of what happened at my birthday party. It's I'll turn this into an
0: R-rated show. So we have very different very different lives. But uh I'm not I'm not cutting down at all, man. Like I am drastically upping the amount that I'm gonna work. I'm mm-hmm. gonna work a lot harder. I'm I'm way more excited about life in general, I think. I feel kinda like I have a purpose again. Like I have like my drive, you know, I got my mojo back. Uh that's not to say being at Stripe was bad. You know, I enjoy being at Stripe and Andy Hackers was just as fun to run then, but now uh I don't know, man. I feel like a wolf, right? I gotta go out, I gotta
1: eat. I got to find like a nice juicy deer. And like the hunt is exciting. There was a, another funny like way that we reacted to working yep. at Stripe that was very different, which is like, do this is a legitimate question. Have you ever had a salary job? I don't think you have. You've only done contract nah. work, right? That was my first ever full-time job. Was so you've never had a full-time Stripe. job. Like you were yep. you it, like, obviously you worked hard, especially in the beginning. I've always made it myself. Um, put it this way. To me, it was pretty obvious that this was like you being a complete fish out of water. You're like a shark dropped over the Sahara Desert. Like <laughs> like you got something, you got like power and, and some ferocity, but like just not in this context. Yeah, but you've never like, you've had full-time jobs, but it never seemed like that's what you've liked to do.
0: You've always wanted I, to be on your own. You've wanted to be a writer. You've wanted to be independent. Like you were
1: like, I, I mean, you're not the kind of person I think of when I think of like a salaried employee. The way that I approached salaried jobs was I had a destination in mind that was me no longer working there, but in order for me to like work my, like I had to like earn my way out. Right. So I started with sales. I was making $38,000 a year with like commissions. And I'm like two years later, I worked my ass off and then got to graduate out of sales into like a software engineering job. Then I like worked my ass off there. So yes, I didn't want to be there, but that actually meant that I worked my ass off while yeah. I was there.
0: It's like Tarzan swinging from one vine to the next. Right. So let's talk about what we learned from this process. From the process of uh, going through a divestment, I've heard of a lot of people getting acquired. I have not met that many people whose companies got acquired and then they got the company back and now own it. So that whole divestment process is crazy. I didn't even know that was possible. And then also like the the what we learned from like the six years of being an acquired company. I think a lot of people consider getting bought. You know, it's like a you know pie in the sky dream in the future. But like, what does it actually feel like to be bought by? In many ways, like our dream company. Like, can you imagine any company that would have been better to acquire Andy Hackers than Stripe?
1: I, I mean, Stripe it was, was the literally, one. yeah, it was the, the one.
0: That's the best choice, uh, and it was only eight months after we started. So, Indy mm-hmm. Hackers came into existence. I think August 2016. You joined a bit later, and then right after that, Stripe was like, Patrick from Stripe was like, "Hey, can we buy Andy Hackers?" And we said, "Okay." And less than a month passed from when he sent me that email to the point where we became official Stripe employees which is literally i think exactly 6 years ago to the day that this episode will come out April 5th 2017 doesn't feel like 6 years
1: does it let me let me give let me give one thought on 6 years at Stripe it's that that first year was a grind like that first year was like I felt like a freshman at college I felt like a freshman at high school I don't know if you remember being there but you're you know you're going from middle school to high school you're like oh I'm joining the big leagues right everyone is so big Right, well, I didn't you know everyone is like freshman so- year of
0: college I played World of Warcraft 24/7 and went okay, to well, any 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 normal <laughs> human
1: being knows what I'm talking about and it's not necessarily that I like when we went into stripe I felt like you know everyone here is is a lead and like they're smarter like it it didn't feel like high school it's slightly an imperfect analogy but what it did feel like was like we gotta be on like i better fucking prove myself right like we got acquired you know we weren't like making hundreds of millions in revenue we weren't like a normal financial acquisition there are a lot of there are a lot of reasons to be like dude you guys just had a fucking blog like why <laughs> why are you here it's my favorite so, question
0: is like why does why does stripe buy indie hackers like how much money were you guys making you guys are killing it I'm like eight right eight thousand dollars a month <laughs> 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 it's just small stake stuff, you know. We got bought by a company that I think Stripe was worth nine billion dollars at the time we joined in 2017. Yeah,
1: and it was interesting because when we got acquired by Stripe, Indie Hackers was like was banging, man. It was like on Hacker News almost every every week. Like we were kind of like the it media company. And when we went into Stripe. I kind of felt famous, honestly. I don't know how you felt, but like, yeah, talking to so many well, we got people, to, like, are just a like, Dude, bunch you know of. The- I
0: remember like the very first day, just getting like twelve Slack messages from people who were listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. Uh, were so excited that we had joined Stripe and had kind of known the acquisition was in the works for like a week or two. Um, so yeah, it's like a, it's kind of like joining a cult, you know. But instead of like coming <laughs> in at like you know the ground floor, and we came in like as like already appointed elected leaders in a way.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And that's just very different than being an indie hacker. Like every big company is to some degree a cult. Everybody's got the shared mission. Everybody has the same leader they look up to. Everybody's sort of aligned, even with their equity. Uh, versus us, we were just like these like just lone wolves, right? We had nothing. We had nothing besides just us. And so, yeah, it did feel very, very validating.
1: I feel like the first year we were a lot more like connected to the internal workings of Stripe. We did well. We had like a two month, almost like stripe school. Like I like flew in from New York city to San Francisco. We like went through the, we had like the class of whatever, you know, Yeah, stripe onboarding. Yeah. Stripe onboarding. It was like very intensive. And then we kind of just like (laughs) got cut loose. And then the rest of the, whatever five years Mm -hmm. that we worked there for the most part, it's like, we would just talk to Patrick Collison directly. And here's what I learned from, from that process. Um, We were
0: extremely independent at stripe. There were no ropes. There were no chains holding us down. We did not have to um, interface with the rest of Stripe to any degree that we didn't want to ourselves. And this is like a nightmare story I hear from lots of other friends who've gone through acquisitions. You know, like the second they join, um, they are not cut loose. They are held down and restricted and they become just like another cog in the wheel. That did not happen with us. And that tells me that like, it's quite possible for lots of companies to do acquisitions this way. And that was fucking awesome. We got to do exactly what we wanted. We had to determine our own future. We just had the added benefit of like this extra press and financial support and employee support from like all of these people at Stripe who were basically just like hey we're here if you need us and like it's i could not have asked for a better deal like there is no like how could it possibly have been structured better than that like i think they really hooked us up
1: it couldn't have been structured better we came in we were like this hot startup we got autonomy and patrick and like a few different friday meetings would like hold us up hold our team up as like the shining beacon on a hill of like Getting things done, like shipping products without like kind of going through the internals. you would be like, "Look, they, you know, they they got a you know product from like idea to shipped in this period of time. Like, why are we like you know?" I don't know
0: why I decided to do this. He didn't ask me to do this, but I was like, "Patrick, I'm just going to send you an update of what we do every week at the end of the week. <laughs> I'm just going to send you an update just so you know." Because like I don't know, just I was a little like, humble felt, brag. No, it wasn't even like that. It just felt weird being like, "Hey, we got acquired, but like, like is anyone going to supervise us, or does anyone even want to know what we do?" And they're like, "You guys are on your own." Uh, and so I just would add the end of every Friday, I'd send him, like, a list of all the stuff that you did, all the stuff that I did. And it would be so much stuff. It would be, like, literally, like, 50 bullet points and, like, five sections. And then, like, I think one of the managers at Stripe messaged me, like, a month after. He's like, hey, man, good job with all the stuff you got accomplished. accomplish. Like, I really got to step it up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I just sent this to Patrick. And it turns out he had been, like, forwarding that email to all the managers to be like, hey, look what, like, <laughs> these two guys are doing. What does your teams do this week? And so, in a way, it was like we were, like, famous in Inside Stripe, but also we were, like... Probably make a lot of other people's jobs way I'm surprised harder. you
1: never got a DM that was like, hey, man, if you just like fucking like, <laughs> cut that list up. in half, <laughs> like in, in your next Friday report, like trade this $1,000 for like half <laughs> of the list. How about you stop sending
0: those emails? Um, but I think the other thing that happened in our first year was that it was like the most starry-eyed, ambitious year that we had. It was like the world is our oyster. The first like two weeks, it just met with a bunch of people. And we just talked about big ideas. Like what could indie hackers be at its biggest? And I remember the the juxtaposition between like being Andy. Remember our conversations when we were like on our own, we were just like, how do we make an extra thousand dollars a month in ad revenue this mm-hmm. month? You know, and we would like do that, and it would be like the most exciting thing on earth. Versus we joined Stripe and everyone at Stripe is like, How do you change the world of entrepreneurship forever until the end of time?
1: <laughs> we I specifically like, remember patio uh... eleven. <laughs> patio eleven, you like we were like we were having like sidebar conversations with people at Stripe, like patio eleven. And you were like, all right, like, you know, how should we like pitch what kind of impact we want to have while working with a company? And you said something that was like hardcore, like small scale stuff. You're like, you know, we just want to grow 10X. We want to be like, you know, you named some company, like we want to be like the bigger version of this media company. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. He's like, you want to like change, like have internet scale impact. Like you need to frame it. You need to like think way bigger. You need to yeah, think 100X, way too not small. I'm
0: thinking way too small. I think
1: that that was really
0: exciting on one hand, because when you have this huge goal, like, it increases your self-belief. Suddenly, you start thinking about ways that you can hit that goal, and you realize that it's kind of possible, whereas when you don't have big goals, you don't even think about these stuff. Like, you don't make big moves if you don't have big goals, and so I remember just thinking, like, all the different things we could do that we I just never considered, and we tried some stuff. We're like, okay, why don't we, like, remember we, like, tried to do Andy Hackers as a publishing company, and mm-hmm. we were like, okay. Like, almost like a medium.com. Yeah, we're like we can just take someone who's like semi-famous and we can like get, get their article on any Hackers and blow them up. Uh, that was our plan. But like in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't, I don't think we could like, Why could we do that? We're just some random website. We can't blow someone up. <laughs> and then we tried it, and I remember some people at Stripe like recommended their friends who had pretty sizable Twitter followings, and they posted on any Hackers, and they did blow up. Like we got people, right. like, Literally yep. hundreds of thousands of page views from our newsletter and submitting to Hacker News and being. Dude, a I mean, to this our day, website. our like,
1: top post ever is. Lynn Tai, your friend, posting when we were doing that, uh, and like we had her write her story, right? And we like featured yeah. it like on the top of our little media site. She's not the top post ever, by the way. She's number eleven,
0: so number she's 11. been eclipsed. She's fallen. How she's yeah. fallen? Yeah, I changed the algorithm to make it so she fell. So take that, Lynn. Specifically, specifically, and only so <laughs> that she would fall. There's no other logic to it. Anyway, to go back to like learnings, I think the um, I don't know how you feel about these big audacious goals. Like I don't know if you live your life having these huge goals. But uh it's a double edged sword, man, because on one hand, Indie hackers grew tremendously, especially in those first two to three years at Stripe. Like I think our our newsletter had like, you know, four thousand people on it when we joined Stripe and now it's like well over a hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand, I think. I think uh our community forum wasn't even on the front page of the website. It was tiny. Half the accounts were still just like you and me trying to get other people to post. <laughs> uh, you know, it was like a couple hundred people, like it's since grown to like hundreds of thousands. Um, page view, same thing, like podcast, like we'd released, I think like three episodes of the podcast. It had, you know, barely a couple hundred downloads an episode. Now it's like 20, 30,000 downloads an episode. And just the first few years at Stripe, like we crushed it and became like literally dozens of times bigger as a company. But on the flip side, like that paled in comparison to the goals that we set. Like we weren't like, Hey, how do we get 30 times bigger? We were like, Hey, how do we get like a million times bigger? But yeah. I think after spending years working really hard and not necessarily making, like, really significant progress towards a huge goal like that, it's pretty demotivating. It's it's very much um, kind of like, well, what's the point? Right? And it's easy. Yep. I think like, there's a point at which I started to feel like, oh, I'm a failure. You know, I failed. We had a goal. We wanted to hit it. Mm. We were super optimistic about wanting to hit it. And everyone was supporting us. and. You know, when you have a company, you answer to your customers. Presumably you have yeah. lots of customers.
1: Mm-hmm. But when you
0: get acquired or you have investors, you kind of like in a way feel beholden to like a very small number of people, right? Like the person who bought right. your company, the people who invested. And so now it just feels like you're it's – like, it's like you're letting down your dad or something, you know? Like you feel like, oh, there's like a couple people that I really wanted to impress, and I'm not sure I did that. And I think right. that's something that I'd never really felt because I'd never raised a bunch of money before or gotten acquired before. Like, I'd always been more accountable to my customers. So I didn't like the idea of having like these huge goals that lasted for years and years and years and not being able to necessarily hit them.
1: But then the other piece that sort of didn't feel good because it felt too good was the fact that like even when we were sort of were just having tepid growth, the paycheck still kept coming, right? It just isn't very entrepreneurial and it and it has an interesting impact on your motivation when like you get fed in you ways no that what. aren't connected to like you doing work that you find like impressive and that you're proud of. And I think we found ourselves, so it was like a two pronged attack against like my motivation, right? Number one, we weren't making like huge strides toward like those really big milestones that we wanted to hit of growth and like impact. But then also it's like, yeah dude, we were just like too fat <laughs> like from not doing stuff yeah I wonder if there's like some arrangement where they could have been like you're kind of like a mini entrepreneur like you can launch little like revenue generating products. It's like you don't have like an internal stripe corporate bonus structure instead right. you have like you make it like you like bring in extra revenue and like that goes into your bank account baby yeah like I feel like that might have given me some sort of like a signal to the I think so I, I
0: think in. so I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, so right now, like part of the deal. We can't go into like a ton of specifics, but like Stripe is a seed investor in Indie Hackers right now. Theoretically, Stripe could have been a seed investor in Indie Hackers six years ago, right? We didn't have to be acquired. We didn't have right. to because the day we got acquired, we just literally shut down all of our advertising, We shut down all of our affiliate marketing. We went from making eight k a month to zero dollars a month. Revenue growth is not the point. Stripe makes infinitely more money than Indie Hackers is going to make, even if we work on this for like you know twenty years. We should focus more on the growth of other things the growth of our traffic the growth of our brand the growth of the impact and the influence we can have on other people starting businesses like our core metric is like okay how many people have started a company because of any hackers who otherwise wouldn't have started one right like that's a that's a pretty badass metric but that is not revenue right it's hard to even measure like what that leads to in it's not revenue, revenue, revenue and also
1: like we had to like find the side window way to represent that through like right. frankly vanity metrics like right because we like we had to try to like Get at that underlying outcome through, like, okay, how many downloads does the podcast have? How many, you know, sort of, yeah, how many page views do we have to the site? How many, you know, sort of, uh, subscribers do you have to the newsletter? And, like, this algorithm leads to yeah,
0: multiplied it's by like... the percentage of people who sign up for Indie Hackers and take our survey yeah. and say yeah. that they definitively would have not started their company if not for X episode
1: or Y post on the forum or whatnot. That versus, like, you did a thing and then someone paid you money into your bank account, Like the relative (laughs) motivational value is like a little bit different. You need a
0: connection. If you wanna get good feedback loops to improve at anything, you need a direct connection between the input and the outcomes. You need to feel pain when you get stung by a bee. You need to feel the cheering of a crowd when you score a goal. And I mean, this is stereotypical. This is stereotypically why entrepreneurs like to be entrepreneurs, because they wanna be rewarded, commensurate with what they put in. And if you go to a big company, that's hard to make happen. We kinda had it at a stripe, like I think we had a good system set up, but it's just really hard to keep that going. Um, fast forward five and a half years and the idea comes up. Uh, hey, you know, would you guys what'd you guys think about taking Indie Hackers ND again? You remember when that came up? That was like November uh twenty twenty two, like November mm-hmm. of last year. Uh and we had never really thought about that. Like I don't know if you know this, but like during the initial acquisition, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was talking to Patrick and I was asking, like, hey, you know, like, if this whole thing goes south and we don't like working together, like, can I, like, maybe, like, buy Indie Hackers back from you? <laughs> and he just looked at me and was like, just like no. <laughs>
1: just one more answer like no, that. Not,
0: that's not how these things work. I was like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Just, you know, just wondering. Uh, but now here we had this opportunity, like, hey, like, we can make Indie Hackers ND again. Uh, and I think what that was four months ago, five months ago, like, we had to mm-hmm. decide, like, okay, do we want to do that? Versus continuing to say it's Stripe. Like, that's a cool option we've never even considered before. Um, and then we decided we did. But then we were like, okay, what does that look like? And just having that conversation of, like, what we would want things to look like going forward if that happened and what Stripe would want things to look like going forward actually turned into, like, a pretty intense, like, negotiation. Right. Um, which was, like, cool, very cool, I think. I think it was, like, the more fun slash stressful part of all this. And then we got to a point where all of us were happy. Everybody felt great. And then the last like just, you know, little while has been nothing but admin work, like, talking to lawyers, having the lawyers talk to other lawyers, drawing up paperwork um, and, you know, setting up a new Indie Hackers, Inc., Delaware C-Corp and getting like all the basic payroll and bookkeeping and taxes set up for that kind of stuff. So we are now officially out, but it's been a trek.
1: It's been a trek. I, I usually find admin work like to be the most stressful type of work, but I have to say, With the admin work on the heels of the negotiation, which of course went really well, but it was stressful enough that now I almost feel like I'm dealing with the walk in the park. It was just high stakes, you know,
0: like how many big negotiations does, do you really do in your life? You know, like buying a house, maybe selling your company, getting your company back. I feel like unless
1: that's your job, like very few people have like, you know, hardly any, right? Well, that
0: was the. We can't go into too much detail about like the actual result of it, but the result of it is a like Stripe is a seed investor and in Andy Hackers, which is cool, and everyone's happy. But like the process to get to like terms where we both enjoyed it. I mean, like, I mean, like what what even is a divestment, right? It is Stripe owns Andy Hackers outright, and now Stripe is an investor in Andy Hackers, and we primarily own Andy Hackers. That is like a whole process that. You know, for at least a brief moment in time, like incentives aren't necessarily aligned. You have to talk about it, and that's why it becomes a negotiation. And we're negotiating with like someone at Stripe who, like, literally has bought and sold companies for a living. Like, he's done this hundreds of times. We've done it one time. You know, I don't even know what a divestment was until like November of last year. I'm like, oh, you could you could do that. And right. so, yeah, uh, we just had to learn a lot in order to like I think do well and get to a point where everybody would be happy. And where the deal even makes sense for everybody, because it's just easier compared to Compared to the
1: original negotiation of Stripe getting acquired, and yeah. then this most recent divestment experience, what would you say was your biggest learning? Um, what was new
0: here? I've learned a bunch of things. I don't know. There's probably like six things that I learned. Um, I think originally one of the things I learned, and I've talked about this before, is keep your chats informal. So when Andy Hackers was joining Stripe, Patrick and I talked a lot on WhatsApp, which was awesome. You know, if you talk over email, every email seems like it's the highest stakes thing you're ever gonna send in your life. You're like sweating over like the structure of like one sentence for like an hour. If you talk in person, then that meeting is kind of feels the same way. But then you're like riffing off the cuff, and you're not prepared. And you feel like you have to kinda of like study, like you're going into like a, a job interview or something. But if you talk over text or WhatsApp or something, it's like very lighthearted. You're on your phone. You can mm-hmm. send emojis, which is nice. And you're, <laughs> you know, trying to be friendly and you're like you are engaging with somebody that you consider a friend, but like you're also trying to ask for what you want, which is very uncomfortable. Levin's Dude, I, I
1: I don't I don't know if I am misremembering, but I'm pretty sure I remember even when Patrick emailed you originally, he used like lowercase letters. Like yeah, he took his formal informal. medium and he made it even more informal. Like,
0: I think that's smart. I think the other thing is, you know, Patrick McKenzie, also known as Patio11, one of our fellow uh, Stripes, he wrote like the guide to salary negotiation, especially mm-hmm. for tech workers. Just Google Patio11 salary negotiation. And there's some really good points in there that are just like evergreen, always true basics. Like number one, you got to have the right mindset. Like this is not necessarily a friendly conversation. Like you need to ask for what you want. If you're not uncomfortable, that means you've either done it a 100 times or you're not doing it enough. Um, And I think that a lot of people probably leave hundreds of thousands of dollars, not millions of dollars on the table throughout the course of their life by not really pushing hard enough negotiations and feeling scared or uncomfortable to ask what they want because you're afraid you're going to offend the other person, whereas – In reality, the other person, like, this is their job (laughs) to literally negotiate and to decide Mm -hmm. what to pay. And it's like usually not even their money that they're spending. And so uh, it turns out like they're usually not really offended if you ask for what you want. So I think that was a really good point from that guide. Uh, Another two points from that guide uh, research, research, research is super important. You need to know what you want, right? Like, we had to sit down and figure out like, what do we really want? What does the other party want? You know, what have other deals like this look like? Um, If you don't do your research, it's really hard to figure out what even to propose that would make everybody happy. And I think that was our goal and Stripe's goal, everybody being happy. Like nobody wanted anyone else to be unhappy. Um, A third point is like, you know, never say a number first. Also (laughs) very uncomfortable. And I think beyond that, I have my own sort of learnings from negotiation. I think one of the most important things in negotiation is just framing. Like what analogy do you use, right? If you're saying like, hey, I want to get a job here, Um, you should hire me, and you say – the going rate for senior engineers is X, so you should pay me X times, you know, plus ten percent because I'm a slightly better senior engineer. That's one right. type of framing, right? Or if you say, "Hey, I'm going to frame this as I know exactly how to, you know, make your systems ten times more efficient, and that's going to save you a million dollars a year, so you should pay me five hundred thousand dollars a year." That's a totally different framing, and you're still a senior engineer and a slightly better senior engineer, but you frame things differently,
1: right? If you, frame, if you frame, if you frame it as like, "Hey, I'm an engineer." the comparison that people make is like, okay, what is uh, the going salary for a senior engineer? Maybe we're talking about like an extra $50,000 a year. Yeah. But if you frame it in, a, in terms of like the savings that you're going to create for their business, now they're thinking, depending on the size of their business, right. maybe on the order of like millions. Or, or you like could frame it, yeah, frame it for
0: how much money you're going to make for them or frame it for like you could frame things in lots of different creative ways. And I think you can do this even for getting a job. And then also like having leverage, right? Like before you even get to the negotiation table, like, Are you sort of like one of a million, right? If things don't work out with you, are there like nine hundred ninety-nine thousand, nine hundred and ninety-nine other people they could just go to and get a better deal? Because if that's the case, like you don't have a lot of leverage, right? So you want to be unique. You want to be kind of one of a kind, and then you want to understand what they want and what you want so you can ask for the right things and create the right frame. And so you were there. We both did this, and it was very stressful, but also really heartwarming at the end, and I think... It's, it's cool awesome. to just, like, go through the stressful process that seems uncomfortable and then also realize that, like, everybody's on the same side and everybody loves each other. Mm-hmm. And now we have, like, pretty good terms. Like, Stripe is a seed investor in indie Hackers, and they're happy with that, and we're happy with that. So now we've got our company. We're independent, and we're, we're done. We're out of it. Everybody's happy. So the big question is, what now, right? The world is our oyster. We could do literally anything. I mean, what do we got? We got a Delaware C Corp. Andy hackers Inc that makes zero dollars in revenue <laughs> zero dollars <laughs> you make no money but we've got a bunch of assets that could easily make money right I was making eight grand a month off ads when our podcast was tiny when our newsletter was tiny when our website is tiny everything today is like 30 40 50 times bigger than it was back then so I feel like the the first step for us is to turn on the ad revenue
1: were you were you monetizing the newsletter at that point
0: yeah yeah we had newsletter ads I had like do you know a do, you, do you remember
1: now like what the what the breakdown was? between sponsorships for the podcast and it was totally
0: random every single deal was individual right it was all just sales right get on the phone call people open up your inbox email people and what i found back then was like selling to people who had no money sucked the worst customer (laughs) the worst customers who would have thought the tiny companies who really wanted to advertise but didn't have much of a budget, and they would micromanage every single thing. Like the ads got to say exactly this. No change the ad to that. No change it to that. Like how many clicks did it get? Well, how many how many pay, how many opens did that email get? Because they were super stressed because every dollar they spent, they needed to see a return on it. Whereas the biggest companies, I think SparkPost advertised, and Indie Hackers back in the day, probably the ads are still in the podcast. They were super chill. You know, I remember talking to a woman there who was running something in marketing, and I was in Cape Town on vacation. And she was on vacation, and we were doing this deal. And she just wanted to talk about her kids and her vacation. And then she just cut me a check for like seven or eight thousand dollars. I was like, "Yeah, we'll take some ads in the newsletter and on the podcast." And then I did it, and there was like no red tape, and it took like five. You're
1: seconds. like, you're like, you're like, how many? She's like, "I don't want to get into the details. Just like, yeah, take yeah, my yeah. Money. This is easy. Take yeah, my how's, money, your, like, how's your, how's your send vacation, my stuff by the Audience.
0: Yeah, because it wasn't her money, and she had a huge budget, and it just didn't. <laughs> and it goes that moment where I was like, oh, maybe enterprise sales is better than selling to tiny companies. Like that was way easier, and I made. 10 times more money than selling to smaller customers. So I think this time around, we should do the same thing. I mean, we should obviously talk to some friends who've done this before and who have big newsletters and monetize them Mm -hmm. and figure out who we should talk to and what the best way to go about it is. Because like the downside of selling ads is it's not that fun. Nobody listening to this podcast thinks, you know what the Andy Ackers podcast needs? Ads. Like nobody wants ads. And that's not like the business model I want to rely on forever. So I think that should be like a stopgap while we do
1: more interesting things. I don't even think of it as a stopgap. I think of it almost like as a tourniquet. Like I see it as we are we're just bleeding money for the next whatever few months. And let's just do the obvious yeah. thing. Get some get some like revenue coming into the newsletter, get some revenue coming into the podcast. It's not sexy. It's not fun. I'm not gonna enjoy doing it, but I will be happy to like break even. And then that's when, for me, the interesting like stuff is going to start.
0: Yeah. And I think we're at a place that a lot of indie hackers are at, which is like, okay, we have a new company. Like, What do we do? Right? And this is the point where I think all of your decisions are worth a thousand times more than your later decisions. Like, These are the heavy hitter decisions where once you start going in a certain direction, it's really right. hard to step back. So you kind of want to get them um, right. I wrote this post on indie hackers years ago. It's called Questions to Ask Yourself Before Starting. Uh, I think there's like 50 questions in here. And it's just a random list of example questions. It's not like these are supposed to be the definitive questions. But there's some good stuff on here, right? Like, what kinds of things have you enjoyed working on in the past? Really simple question, right? If you're going to start a business and you kind of have a lifetime of experience knowing what you like to work on, like, is your business within that wheelhouse or is it something totally different? So for you, like, you know, I know that's like writing. I know that's productivity. I know that you tend to like working alone, right? I know for me, I love coding. I love creating products. I love designing. I love being proud of what I build. I love working on really small things that I can ship and release and be done with it, and then move on to the next thing. And so, whatever we do with Indie Hackers, like ideally, I wanted to involve a lot of that.
1: Yeah, look, and to that point, like I'll match your post with a post that I made on Indie Hackers called "Infinite Entrepreneurship," and in a lot of ways, this is what I think of when I think about Indie Hackers which is infinite entrepreneurship is when you set up the operations of your business and like the kinds of products you work on in a way where you're focused a lot more on enjoying the process instead of only trying to like worry about the proceeds only trying to worry about like, you know, whether you're going to make a certain amount of revenue at the end of the year, only worrying about if you're going to build something that you can like exit for like life changing amounts of money. So what's the process you want? Like what's like your everyday Life
0: that you find amazing? Like, what do you want that to be?
1: I would say, number one, I look at it from like the unit of the day, like you just said. And then I also like looking at it at the unit of the month. Like, I would say that the main thing is I want to enjoy building stuff, which means I want to build a lot of things. Like, I don't want to have. Our biggest product has been the form. I don't want to have a, a product that like I'm just doing this like slow compounding work on over many many years, hoping you don't want a long slog. You want I want a long slog. I want faster nice feedback packages. loops. Yeah, right. I want faster feedback loops. So probably small products. Um, Do you I want to code to generate revenue? Yeah, I want to code. I I also want to. Uh, you're a faster, better programmer than I am. And so I, I want to do code work, but like I think I'm gonna have to slowly familiarize myself with the code base. But yeah, I want to do that. So that's a big one and, too just learning, right? Like for me,
0: there's stuff I want to learn, and I want to have like an excuse to learn those things. like we were talking a few weeks ago about me just doing like abstract learning, but like the second we get into like product ideas, I'm like, okay, like AI is big. there are. Very obvious ways we could use artificial intelligence to improve some of like our solutions to problems we already solve, but I got to learn a lot. Like I got to learn a shitload to do that, and I want to. It's funny. I it's have it's, it's to almost like
1: it's funny because you want to learn, and I think there are opportunities where we can learn, but it almost might be a like requirement. You know, uh, AI, machine learning, the pace of accelerated uh, advancement in, in that field is almost going to force our hand in a lot of ways yeah. which is a cool it's position true. to be in. It's true.
0: It's like I think the landscape for indie hacker is not the company but like as like a people as a community as like a profession um, or a career is completely boosted by artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, because essentially like the whole idea of the indie hacker movement is like we've reached a threshold where the average individual can basically create their own company without any help, right? Like you're so right. empowered with like extremely efficient high level programming tools with amazing products and services out there that make it super easy to create a business, to accept payments online, to advertise, etc. that you're pretty much just limited by your own creativity. And you don't need like a team of like 50 people just to like put a website up like you did in the nineties. And so AI, I think it's just like the latest technology in that trend where, okay, well now as one person you can do way more, right? Did you suck at writing yesterday? Guess what? Like today you're great at writing. You're at least a passable writer because you have GPT-4, right? Um, Did you suck at brainstorming? Like, guess what? Today, like, you're a pretty decent brainstormer because, like, you've got this almost AI co-founder that can be at your side and help you do everything. And so I think pretty much every indie hacker is going to have to consider reinventing themselves. And if you're not, you know, in the next three or four years, you're going to be replaced by people who have. We're in a place where I think, like, what we should be doing is probably providing tools to help indie hackers do this, right, to get better at being
1: indie hackers. And so I want to build lots of tools for that, too if you think about all of the things that both you and I seem to want, I mean, we want to build products frequently. So we don't want to have like, you know, big, hulking, slow feedback loop products. We want to learn a lot. Obviously we want to serve like our natural customer base, which is going to be other indie hackers, other entrepreneurs. Um, So like that's another constraint. We need to probably build tools that help other people build. In a lot of ways, I think that we have a good idea of like some of the cool things we're going to Build and we've actually started too, right? Like, yeah, we've got a lot of ideas, right? And the way we've been working is we've
0: divided everything we do into what we call projects. And we've got a table on Notion with like a dozen projects that we're working on right now, but mostly they're just internal stuff. Divesting from Stripe, that's a project. Reducing our costs, that's reducing our burn, that's a project. Um, setting up a new company and setting up payroll and whatever, that's a project. Uh, but as we go on, Obviously, we're going to, like, sort of finish these internal projects and move more toward, like, user-facing, revenue-generating, like, actual products versus internal projects. And why don't we just go through some of our ideas here? We don't have uh, a ton of stuff we've started working on now, but we've got, like, a list of, like, 15 or so random ideas that have popped into our heads. Maybe, like, 13 of them are terrible. and Maybe two, one or two of them could be really good. So let's just let's go through some of these ideas. Uh, what's on here? Or an AI website companion. So you know how you go to a website and they've got that little intercom chat bubble in the bottom right where you can chat with a customer. Mm-hmm. And you know how like a lot of other websites will also have like onboarding. So like when you sign up, uh, it kind of walks you through a flow and is like, oh, click over here to do this, click over here to do that, right? It just kind of teaches you how to use the website. Well imagine yeah. if this was powered by artificial intelligence. It could essentially ask you questions or learn about you and then give you a customized tour of the website, right? Different people want to know about different features, want to use different features, and they don't just want to do it when they're onboarding, but they want to do it the entire time they're using your app, right? And so this tool would know things like, when was the last time this user logged in? And maybe even things like, how are they using their mouse, right? Do they seem like a competent computer user, or do they seem like you're a little bit slow, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And just like essentially help anyone use your website in a much more efficient way that's better for them and more lucrative for you as a business owner, I think could be a dope-ass product. I don't know how much of it's in our wheelhouse, right? Like how much is that uh, a thing that like helps indie hackers? But it could be because any indie hacker who has a website might want to have a product like that, that helps their customers do a better job using their website. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I think it could be big. We had someone on the podcast just a few months ago who spoke about how much of a boost they had to their conversions by just actually being better about support, like customer support. And I have to say like, that's one of the few things that indie hackers tend to really hate, like maybe marketing and like customer support, right? Like ideally yeah. they like to just build a really cool product, have it be as automated as possible. And that's what's going on here, right? Kind of getting that off yeah. of your hands. Right. So another one,
0: uh, I think you saw Sam Parr launched his new business. It's called Hampton. I think it's a exclusive club for high net worth, successful founders to come and join a mastermind of similar founders and pay. Did he say how much money it costs to join Hampton? I think it's probably thousands of dollars a year. Dollars I think it's, uh, it's somewhere there's in there's the no price on the website. I think it's, yeah, it's extremely yeah, expensive.
1: No, I, I think it's, let's say, 40000 something like that, a year. Well, we have
0: like the other end of the market, right? We have dozens of meetups every month among people who are just getting started And they want to meet other people in person in their cities, or maybe just online on Zoom calls and talk to them. But we've never done anything formal like that. Like, and that is not something that I think is going to be replaced by AI anytime soon because it's talking to other people who are like you and sort of following each other's stories. And so, we could build something more formal to help match up indie hackers and mastermind groups and little cohorts and actually help them help each other much better than you know making a post on the forum and helping. So, what do you think about like the
1: price point though? I kinda immediately that is a callback to you trying to sell ads to broke companies. <laughs> right? So it's like, all right, well, in this situation we're trying to like, you know, pair together broke indie hackers, some of whom aren't gonna be broke, but yeah. I mean a huge amount of of indie hackers are aspiring. But I like the idea
0: of having it be high enough that it's something people aspire to, right? I want like the average indie hacker who comes in to have milestones and goals and maybe they want to be big enough to the point where they could get into these mastermind groups. So I don't know, maybe it's like once you've hit 10K MRR or 5K MRR or maybe 1K MRR, at some point, you know, mm. you you have qualified enough to be, you know, well on your way to being like a self-standing so indie it. hacker.
1: There's like subgroups on the forum that you can't access unless you have like an indie hacker's product that has like Stripe verified revenue of XYZ, right? Then you get invited to these like super secret swanky meetups. Yeah.
0: I don't, how do you feel about all that, like, the the sort of status bait stuff, right? Like, Sam called his thing Hampton because it's, like, it sounds <laughs> luxurious, right? And then it's, like, extremely exclusive. And this is how every other club is on Earth, too, that's, like, that's super successful. Like, Harvard, very exclusive. It's hard to get in. And that increases the value of Harvard because they get to select for the best people. And everybody wants to go there. Um, y Combinator, same thing, right? Like, very exclusive, very hard to get in. They associate with, like, big name successful people. And so it, like raises your status to sort of be a part of it.
1: I feel like I've kind of come to terms with it. I mean, the idea that you're getting at is that, you know, the superficial, the cover story is, hey, the value of coming here is that you're going to get these like really functional benefits. If you join this mastermind, you're going to make more money. But like, let's be honest, a huge part of the value proposition is like, you want status, you want to be part of this super exclusive group. And then you might feel like, well, that's kind of a bullshit value prop. But if you actually know yourself, if you're self-aware, you realize like we like status, we like being part of groups. It's part of the human experience. I don't really think it's bullshit as long as you have like eyes wide open about it.
0: There's a a good quote from Groucho Marx it says, "I refuse to be part of any club that would have me as a member." And I think that's <laughs> kind of the that's kind of the vibe, you know? Like ah, oh shit. If it's like if it's good enough for me to get in, like maybe it's not good enough. I don't know. I also that that's kind of at odds with our culture, right? Any Hackers has always been built on transparency. It has always been built on kind of helping people get started. And so like that is a business idea that I don't think jives with. It's not the one that we would be the best at that would be like the most hmm. congruent with like the rest of our culture and what we do. And so it's an interesting one, but I'm not sure about it. At the Um, same
1: time, though, I'll I'll say one word on it is like a huge cohort of people that listen to us that are just getting started or super happy. But then a lot of people who are like further down have made a lot more revenue and they're dealing with problems of like, you know, bigger growth phases of of companies like they get kind of turned off by it. And then likewise in reverse. Right. And so I kind of like the idea of like if we were to have something like this where there's almost like a growth based cohort model, then I think it's, it's not necessarily against like the ethos of indie hackers. It's it's almost like a way of segmenting the information that we deliver to, to different people. Right, right.
0: So some other ideas on this list. Let's go with some of the crazier ones. Uh, a custom podcast player. The idea is very simple. There's a bunch of indie hackers and people in our space who have podcasts that help people with business and marketing and sales and hiring and all this stuff copywriting, social media growth, and if we could curate some of the best podcast episodes or best podcast shows, put them into one app where you can essentially live as an indie hacker, and we can do a lot of cool stuff. It will be a marketing channel. Anybody in the space who had a podcast would want to be featured on this app. It will be good for consumption. If I'm going on a run or going to do chores, and I'm an indie hacker, and I know I want to listen to something productive, uh, I don't have to do a ton of discovery, right? I just open up the Indie Hackers podcast app, and I know there's gonna be good episodes at the top of that. And we could also tie it into our community. Right now podcasts are very stale. It's very hard to get feedback on them because most podcast players don't support things like upvoting or comments or emailing the people who are behind it. So we could bake that into the app too, off the back of all the other code we already have that powers our community and essentially make it so that anybody with an indie hackers account can like socially participate in this podcast medium, which has right. been done before. Dude, so this
1: this reminds me of of Crunchyroll and until I thought about that, I didn't really understand right. this idea too much. But Crunchyroll, you you love anime, and Crunchyroll, you probably can do a better job of explaining it than I can. But it's a like one stop shop for people who love different animes to go and like see all of their shows kind of in one place, and there's kind of a community around it.
0: It's a streaming service, right? Like any streaming service, whether it's uh, Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu or Crunchyroll, like you create a bunch of shows. You put them all together. You charge a subscription fee, and then people go there and you know talk to each other and watch the same shows. And I think that that is sorely missing in the world of podcasting. I'm not sure it could work, right? Because I think people when they're podcasting, it's a very different medium than video. They're not you know at the couch and comfortable. They're usually standing up. They're on the go. They're doing chores. They're driving. They're going for a run. Like I did a, a poll once where I asked people, you know, what do you do when you listen to a podcast? And like I think like 1% of people said, like, nothing. I just sit there and listen to my podcast like a psycho. <laughs> like, no one no one does
1: that. And so uh,
0: I'm not sure if a streaming service
1: would work, but it could. Well, but, well, but well, let me just back this up slightly and say, like, when I think about, like, a podcast that just has a bunch of indie hackers type episodes in that feed, and I go, well, what problem is this solving? Um, I think a lot about, like, oh, you know, sort of normally when I go, when I seek podcasts, I go to, like, you know, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, where it's just the entire list of all of the different options. I thought, you know, like what I'm looking for is, you know, entrepreneurship content. Then going to these like universal feeds creates all of this extra friction. Like there are so many more decisions that I need to make. Whereas if I go to crunchyroll.com, it's curated, right? Like it's like, this is the stuff I want. Like narrow down the decision making for me. Like help me get the, like specifically, like help me fi- mm-hmm. find out what's going on in, in the world of anime. And so that's. Yeah. A- in a sense, so like the problem the that it helps is discovery,
0: behavior. right? The discovery is, hey, if I go on iTunes, it's going to be shitty. They have like the business category. How do I know this appeals to me? Versus, like, hey, if right. I go on indie Hacker's podcast app, I can discover new shows. Reliably well because it's curated and crafted by people who are like me. You know what I want specifically for me, right? And we could do a bunch more stuff where we actually listen to shows, review the shows. It's exactly right. Could even like how many
1: times on Twitter do you see like, "Hey, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur." Like, how many? Yeah. How many like good podcasts are there like for entrepreneurs, right? And like people give like a list of like seven episodes, right? So, but it,
0: this doesn't seem like a small project. Like, this isn't something that we build in a, a couple months and then set it and forget it. Like, just growing that and maintaining it is a huge business that would take forever. And the numbers might not be there. There might not be... Yeah,
1: like the risk to reward ratio isn't really super thrilling on that one to me. Like just the time, man. Like again, like time to try to grow it, to build it, to recruit people to like share their podcasts on it or, you know... You do it really slow. Like you would be very
0: unambitious at first. Like here is a an app just for the Indie Hackers podcast. And if you like the Indie Hackers podcast, you come in here, you see all our episodes and you can comment on them and that's it, right? And then we add a second podcast and a third and a fourth and just grow super slowly and gradually add features again it's not like a month long project but it's like something that can be slow and like a little bit unassuming and get bigger and so really i think the biggest concern is like is there enough demand on
1: the consumer side to actually want an app like this number one the demand might not be there but then even if there is a demand I'm not confident enough in ways to monetize it. Most streaming
0: services charge a subscription fee. What are people gonna pay like 10 or 15 bucks a month for something like mm-hmm. this? Like maybe not, right? Maybe. Or maybe we charge them a premium. Maybe it's like, okay, we're when you're the mom and pop shop, when you're the little guy, you can't afford to be cheap. Right? Being cheap is a luxury of having economies of scale and being a huge business. Mm-hmm. We just have to maybe maybe make a premium service. You could also think about charging the people who are on the network if it has enough usage and enough advertising. Like if I was an indie hacker starting my own podcast for other indie hackers, I might pay a hundred bucks a month to get it in front of other people and have it recommended because it's basically mm. advertising. And so, you know, it's a marketplace. You're bringing people together with content. There's a possibility there, but why don't you pick an idea from from our list? Pick a pick a weird one.
1: Uh, how about this? How about the social token? Because we talked about this a couple of years ago. Um,
0: this is another one where like trying to figure out how to do it would require a lot of learning. But essentially, I just really like the idea of social tokens, which are like it's almost like. A crypto version of disney dollars right you go to disney and they give you disney dollars and you can use disney dollars to buy things at a discount compared to normal dollars and it works because a lot of people don't spend their disney dollars right they keep them as commemorative tokens they take them home and so even if disney sells a thousand dollars with the disney dollars maybe 200 of that just goes home with people and never gets spent on anything um and the rest you know yeah they can sell stuff at a discount because it's subsidized by how many disney dollars don't get spent and so, I like the idea of having a closed community and having our own sort of currency or token that's like, you know, the Indie Hackers coin, and people could use that to do things like boost your post to the top of Indie Hackers, or buy ads, or support each other's projects or products. You know, maybe even invest in each other's products, um, but it's all done through this crypto token. And what's cool about crypto token is, unlike a Disney dollar, like nobody's going to take it home and frame it and give it to their kids as a souvenir. But like, you can kind of invest in it. You can kind of speculate on it. You can kind of hold it and watch the price increase as the value and the popularity of the community increases. So you could buy a whole bunch of indie hackers dollars because you believe in indie hackers as a community and then sell them later on for more as other people believe it and the price goes up. Now the challenge with this is that it's like very tricky from a legal perspective. What you're doing is you're issuing a security. <laughs> and right, if you issue a security, right, right, like right. you need to file that with like the SEC. A lot of people yeah. have like gotten in trouble for not doing this well. But it's actually possible to do. I mean you can file and register your security with the SEC And I think some people have done that for their tokens, and it's perfectly legal, and then it's fine. And there's also a lot of Hmm. exceptions to whether or not you might not need to file. Like if you place certain limitations on what you're going to do, like you only allow a certain number of people to buy your security or whatever, you can apply for an exception. So I think it's a fun idea. I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be really cool just to let indie hackers invest in each other's companies. And that might be easier to do with crypto than with dollars. Um, And so that's one of the crazier ideas out there. I don't know if we're going to do it. You know, It's too hard. There's a lot of reputational risk. You don't want to like release some yeah. crypto coin that tanks and everybody loses their money. But I think that we have a real asset, which is an actual community. That's not just some random discord chat. See, server dude, people- that's
1: the, that's the thing. That's the thing. Because we have so many things on our site where we can actually have this like currency be exchanged for real forms of value. Say... You know, if you have a certain amount of token, then you get more points, or your you know your posts get like uh, get boosted more when you make them, or like if you have a product page on the directory, that page like gets um, promoted more, like you know gets a signal boost when you post a milestone to it. You can invest in other people's products or whatever. You can give it actual functionality
0: that is useful. It doesn't have to just be the speculative thing that people just. If it was
1: all greater full theory, I would be like, let's nix this like in the bud. (laughs) Yeah, 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 Would be terrible. I don't feel
0: great about it. Reddit has an alternative. Reddit has Reddit Gold. Where essentially, mm-hmm. like, instead of just upvoting somebody's comment, you can basically, I think, buy Reddit gold for them. And when they have Reddit gold, they can use it to get like extra privileges. I think they get some special subreddit. It's just cool. It's a cool way to show that you appreciate people. So there's a functionality to it. You know that by buying it, you're supporting Reddit. Um, so we could do something like that, right? It has nothing to do with crypto. It has nothing to do with issuing a security. Right. Nobody's investing. So you're, you sort of stay away from all that stuff. But people still can support the site. But I, I do really like the idea of like having an actual token that people can, can use to, like, sort of de facto invest in indie hackers. And so that's a it's one of the crazier ideas on the list. And I think if we did a lot of the other ideas, there would be more functionality that, like, a token could be used for. Like, if we had mastermind groups, you could, you know, maybe use tokens to be able to speak first or to be able to start your own mastermind group or to get a discount on those types of things. And so uh, that might be something we do, like, last.
1: What else is up here? So we've got Substack Competitor. Yeah, we already, have, kind of that? That. we already right, kind of have that. We already
0: kind of have that. You can create a series on indie hackers, which essentially is a fancy word for a newsletter. And you can write posts on indie hackers that go out to the people who subscribe to you. And when they see your post, they'll have a little prompt to subscribe to your newsletter. And so we already have a few dozen people who've had these series on indie hackers for how long? Like two years? It's kind of an idea yep. that we kind of started, but we aborted. But... um. It's cool. I mean, we could even convert people's followers into email subscribers. We could just ping their followers and say, hey, do you want to be an email subscriber? I have something like 200,000 followers on Indie Hackers, like more than I have on Twitter. Like that would be a pretty badass newsletter for me to have right out of the gate. Okay. Dozens of other people are in similar situations.
1: But then talk about like the revenue side. Like how much Substack isn't like a revenue generating machine, is it? Let me see. I've got. Uh, it had a revenue of only $9 million in 2021, sky-high valuation. One of the like m- most often talked about issues that Substack has with trying to monetize is obviously they have a very small number of their riders who bring in a lion's share of their overall revenue. And yet when a rider on Substack starts to really, really grow their subscriber base and become like a hit... They start going like, wait, why am I? To go elsewhere. Yeah, why am I like giving all my money, like giving 12% or whatever it is to Substack? So, in terms of like this being like a good business, but you know, then taking a step back, how much money would we really need it to make? There's this theory that was proposed a while back that everything in business is either bundling
0: or unbundling, right? Bundling, you're either combining a bunch of different things together, like a Walmart or an Amazon, and putting it all in one place for convenience. Or unbundling. You're taking something that was all stuck together and you're pulling it out and making it more specific and more niche, right? And so what we're talking about is like essentially unbundling Substack. Hey, Substack's cool. You can find any newsletter on any topic there. But what if you want a newsletter specifically in this indie hackers, entrepreneurship, tech, business niche, right? We can curate a better selection of newsletters there and curate a better selection of readers for people who want to write that content. So in a way, it's like unbundling Substack in the same way that people have unbundled Reddit by... Creating entire businesses based on you know a single subreddit. Uh, the question that you're asking is, is Substack a big and substantial enough business to be worth unbundling? Right? Like you typically want to unbundle huge things. So if you take off a little piece of that, you could build something pretty big yourself. But if yeah. you, do we
1: want to do we want a slice of a slice? Is right? what you, is, <laughs> exactly. what, is what you're saying? Exactly.
0: Exactly. I don't know about you, but I have kind of a number in mind of how much money I want to make for my own projects. My number is three million dollars a year. It's just sort of a pie-in-the-sky goal to aim towards. I don't care that much about hitting it. I'm not, like, worked up over hitting it because I don't want to feel bad if I'm not making progress. But I do want to make incremental progress towards getting there over the next 5 or 10 or 20 years, and however long it takes. And it doesn't need to all come from one place. You don't have any deadline? Like That is the whole point for me. The point is to make it long-term. When I first got into entrepreneurship, I had a very airy-fairy goal of, like, I want to be a success. What the hell does that mean? I do not know what that meant. It wasn't specific. But I knew that, like, I I would know it when I got it, right? I want to sell a company or start an impactful company. Um, I want to make a lot of money. I want people around me to be like, Cortland set out to do a thing, and he did it, right? And so there's this vague goal of being a success. And it turns out, like, as you said earlier in your post about infinite entrepreneurship, right, it's not really about the destination. It's really about the journey. But the farther away your destination is, the longer you get to go on your journey. And so for me, the point isn't to, like, I need to hit something next year and then leverage that to get to the next level because I don't have any grand ambition by that. Like I already kind of accomplished my main goal. I just want to have a good excuse to do the things that I love on a day-to-day basis and then something to look forward to, some goal that I can incrementally inch my way towards because I like watching numbers go up. And it's as simple as that.
1: I think I like growth. So I mean, look, my goal is a dollar. <laughs> I want to make a dollar. We don't we do, we make 0 currently. Um, I want to get like our ad engine churning and going and, but I don't want to do that by like two years from now. I want to do that probably by the end of the month. Like I want us to like, you know, see some revenue coming in. And then when I get there, I'm going to push the goalpost back. Right. And I'm going to think about the next thing. And then when we, you know, like, I'm going to think about like one of our products that we're already working on, making real money, making subscription money, right? And then I'm going to, you know, take stock where I'm at, and then I'm probably going to raise the bar from there.
0: Yeah. So you want to go incrementally kind of and not necessarily have a grand plan, right? You want to sort of fall into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I like that too. I think as people, we carry around a lot of baggage, right? If you think about like a caveman, like how much baggage did like, you know, uh, an ancient nomadic human have, right? You really only had like what you could carry with you. You didn't have a mortgage. You didn't have a car. You didn't have a million possessions. And so your mind was always kind of light and you kind of felt free and you kind of felt unencumbered. Whereas today, like all of us have a million things. We have a million worries, we have a million concerns. We've got a million things to do. I've got a whole to-do list in my mind that I'm not even consciously aware of, but it's like shit that's on my plate and a calendar full of things that's just scheduled out into the future. And I think that's like that kind of life, modern life, so to speak, just ends up having a background of just being ambiently stressful because we have so much baggage. Yep. And so I like the idea of having a business and doing exactly what you say, where it's like, yeah, maybe we have this giant grab bag of ideas, but we don't have some master plan of step one, step two, step three, and the whole next 10 years mapped out. right? We have, hey, this is what we're working on today. And you know, next month when we're done with this, we'll look in the grab bag and figure out the next thing to work on. And we're never really encumbered because we're always just working on this one thing at this one time. I think sounds really peaceful and
1: really attractive. I never want a week to show up and to think, Oh fuck this week. I have to do like X, Y, Z. Like we have to like, you know, hit a certain revenue bar or we like, or, you know, it's a Tuesday. Oh shit. On Tuesday, I have to do this thing. I like the idea of getting away from that. And through one lens that almost looks like I don't want to work hard, but I work really hard. I just, I just, tend to work the hardest and be the most fulfilled when I feel like I'm the one pushing, you know, the the work forward as opposed to being pulled by external requirements that are placed on me. I think the easiest way to fall into that is to sort of arbitrarily place a bunch of deadlines on your head that aren't connected to anything yeah. real. So what can people expect
0: from indie hackers going forward? We're we're now indie, we're outside of Stripe. Obviously, we don't make any money, so we have to make money. Uh, And we also have incentive too, because the sky's
1: the limit. Um, How's that going to change indie hackers? What should people, I guess, what should people expect? We're going to be building in public. We're going to be transparent. We're going to be like sharing what the hell we're doing and how much money we make. We're going to be like experimenting in public.
0: We're going to be working on a lot of small projects. We're going to be publishing our revenue numbers. We're going to be sharing what we're up to. Uh, Hopefully we'll talk about everything. Anyway, dude, I'm excited. Uh, I'm happy recording this episode with you. Maybe we'll do more episodes with just you and me. Since now we have a lot of our own stuff to talk about that's like a little bit more transparent and ambitious instead of just doing all interviews too. I like I like doing it this way.
1: Yeah, it's it's way more chill. It's almost more like just the meetings that we have on a daily basis. Exactly. Exactly.
0: All right, dude, good talking and let's fucking do it. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm excited.